the important thing here that we talk about all the time is being able to get deals at price points that make sense for you. You know, I know a lot of investors are hesitant to go direct to seller looking for off-market deals. But at the same time, I mean, even if it's something you don't want, there's the potential for you to take that property, turn around and list it on the MLS, maybe do a light rehab or do a full rehab. Now is really a time that you've got to kind of roll up your sleeves and get your hands dirty. Welcome to the Good Stewards Podcast, the only podcast dedicated to seasoned real estate investors who want to maximize the cash flow potential in their business. We are buy and hold investors with a thousand plus properties and markets across the U.S. who bring an insider's view into the nitty gritty details of real estate investing. If you're looking to develop the mindset, teams, and systems that can dramatically build your real estate business and net worth, you're in the right place. Welcome to this episode of the Good Stewards Podcast. I'm Ryan Dossey. I'm Amanda Perkins. I'm Bill Sirius. And I'm Andrew Sirius. Hello, Good Stewards, and welcome to this installment of our incredible podcast. Want to thank Karen and Blake in particular for leaving us a review. Uh, that just helps us get in front of other investors just like you. So thank you guys very much for taking the time to do that. Today's episode, we're going to just talk about some of the trends we're noticing, including actually some upward pressure on markets. Uh, really, really interesting time to be involved in real estate. And, you know, quite frankly, uh, being an essential business, I, there's nothing else I'd rather be doing other than maybe owning, you know, Sherman. But uh, before we dive in, we do want to connect with you. Be sure to visit us over at thegoodstewards.com. Subscribe to the podcast, snag your free copy of our ebook. Y'all, Bill wrote this thing. It's like 500 pages long, but it will literally give you our business uh, in, in an ebook. Be sure to share our podcast with your friends. And as always, leave us a review. Never know, we may throw your name out next time and hit us up with any comments or questions that you have. So, starting in just kind of on the upward pressure that we've seen. Um, and this isn't just in my market in Indianapolis. Uh, Bill mentioned they've seen it in Eugene. I've talked to some friends of mine in some more expensive markets like DC and Miami, and they're seeing similar things. So I think what's happened is people that had their homes listed when COVID kind of hit, I don't know if it was a fear thing or, a, you know, people aren't going to pay what I want, pulled their properties off the market which has lowered inventory, but there's still people looking to buy. I mean, for instance, I'm moving to Pensacola in September. Whether I like it or not, I've got to go buy a house in, in this time in the market. So the interesting thing we've seen in Indianapolis is actually lower days on market. So properties are selling faster, but we've also seen an increase in the price per square footage of new assets being sold. So kind of interestingly on this, um, we, we've got a, a rental that was a vacant that we threw up because uh, it was no longer burrable. So we had a tenant park a 30,000 pound semi loaded with junk on the original driveway and I mean, just kind of snapped it. Um, I mean, I don't remember the total, like nine grand. Or I mean, yeah, in that ballpark to fix the driveway. Yeah. It's like eight or nine grand, right? So it was still a good deal, but we went from being into a $125,000 house for like 80 grand into the low 90s. So we decided, let's throw this on the market and see what happens. 
we uh, listed it, got a cash offer from a 1031 exchange who then kind of did what I was expecting. Uh, they came back and were just out of their mind on things they wanted fixed. Uh, you know, for instance, I believe they wanted seven or eight grand for HVAC, which in a 1200 square foot house is a bit excessive <laughs> given what we've normally a wee bit, paid. Just a wee bit. Yeah, just, I mean, I, I was like, it's about double, but okay. So we kind of made the executive decision to go ahead and throw the property back out on the market, even deeper into COVID. Like, oh no, what's going to happen, right? Um, we'd taken a $125,000 cash offer. We were listed at one twenty nine. We took an offer of 135000 so 10000 bucks more. They actually used the 1031 buyer's inspection response, and we only agreed to fix like four things. Uh, they said that was great, so their inspection is already done. We're fixing those items, headed to closing. That being said, this is not a particularly lovely house. I mean, it's got rental-grade carpet in there that somebody we evicted lived on for a year, year and a half, and uh, has the hot pink and baby blue uh, bathrooms still as well as kind of the original galley kitchen. So by no means was this cream of the crop. And we actually sold for what I personally believe is over retail. I wouldn't be surprised if that property doesn't appraise. But that's kind of one of the interesting thing that's going on in the market. Every showing, every realtor that we talked to on it all told us the same thing If this client has lost out on four or five other houses, right? So uh, I think just a very, very conventional wisdom is we should probably pull back. And I mean, by not pulling back um, on the, our buying and selling side, I mean, we've done very, very well the past two months. Right. No, I agree. We have, um, we have a stake in a small development in Eugene and um, the houses have continued to sell. I think what's driving that possibly is part of it is these are brand new houses. So, you don't have to, you know, it's easier for showings. They aren't lived in. Um, additionally, interest rates being so low are really driving buyers to the market because mm -hmm. they can take advantage of, you know, uh, we're back at a record low interest rate situation. So, I mean, I think those two factors um, and low inventory, low interest rates are meaning there are currently buyers in the market. You know, we, we talked about this before about, uh, dollar cost averaging in the stock market where somebody puts in, uh, you know, say five, $10,000 every quarter and they do it religiously their whole life because nobody can time the market, except if you're Warren Buffett, maybe, or a few others. Or an executive who stepped down and <laughs> invested heavily into stock after a federal COVID briefing, but continue. Inside trading also helps you to not have to do dollar <laughs> cost averaging, but I think we've applied that to real estate. And, you know, uh, Andrew, you may know the number on this, but there are if if you uh, invested like over 10 specific days during the year, every every calendar year, that's when the stock market really goes nuts uh, up in an upward sort of way. But nobody can figure out when those 10 days are. And then there's uh, a significant number of days that also goes down. Uh, but nobody knows those days either. So the the kind of the the rule of the road here, I think, is that you should buy 
to your best ability at all times because there's a lot of counterintuitive things going on in the market. We all thought, oh, let's just stop, wait, look around, figure out what's going on. And then all of a sudden, Andrew pulls the trigger on 36 properties that came our way. Or no, excuse me, it's 26, 26. properties. Yeah. Uh, because they're, you know, they're, they're a good deal and let other people, you know, uh, respond in, in a fearful sort of way. We're the ones who want to be on the other side of that, picking things up. Of course, we want to be careful, obviously, but, uh, if they make sense at that point in history, I think you need to consider pulling the trigger. Particularly if it's, you know, it'll cash flow and pay for itself. That's making um, sense. Yes. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't know the exact percentage, but from my research, I think it was like one and a half to 2% that most markets dropped a month during the last crash. Does that sound about accurate? Yes, I would say so. Uh -huh. uh, except yeah, it was, I mean, if you averaged it, there were some months that were quite a bit more rocky. Okay. So on an average about one and a half. So, I mean, I think particularly it's a really good reason to highlight just making sure that you're getting good deals. You, you want a, a margin of safety anytime you buy. And if you're buying at 75%, you know, your margin of safety is 25%. So let's say you can allow the market to go down 15, even 20%, still pay a real estate commission and get out whole. That's, that's a pretty good situation. So if you're, if you're really keeping yourself to that kind of criteria, I say, why not keep buying, you know, keep looking around for those deals. And uh, a matter of fact, we have run into a couple of situations in our last two purchases where we got a better deal because of the COVID thing. The seller, uh, you know, was even more motivated in both cases. One, we got a lease option and the, and the folks uh, gave us um, a, a break on the holding costs. We would normally have to go out to a private lender and borrow, in this case, $350,000. And because they own the property free and clear, they said we for the next four months, we can uh, pay them $500 a month. Uh, so things like that, little wrinkles like that, you can find because people think, yeah, the market's in a disturbed I, situation. I do, think, I do think it's important to highlight, though, that's off market. Yeah. So on market, this property I took $135,000 offer for, some poor, sad soul of a buy and hold investor who hopefully doesn't listen to our show came along and was like, yeah, you know, with COVID going on, these are real uncertain times. So his realtor presented an offer form of $90,000, to which I just replied with LOL, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm not going to sell to you for, what is that $35,000 below my list when I sold for 5,000 over to somebody else. So, um, I mean, if you've been around me at but all. But maybe he didn't know that you weren't necessarily that motivated of a seller. Well, no, I mean, don't get me wrong. Right. I don't blame him for, you know, shooting a shot, but I can still laugh at him. We don't <laughs> right. recommend responding to seller or to buyers with LOL, but uh, unless it's really must. low, <laughs> I, I find it's nicer than not replying at all. Um, you can also no, just I did, say, yeah, I did no include thanks. a screenshot of a, high, of, of a significantly higher offer. So it was a little more polite than that. But I think the... The important thing here that we talk about all the time is being able to get deals at price points that make sense for you. And, you know, I know a lot of investors are hesitant to go direct to seller looking for off market deals. But at the same time, I mean, even if it's something you don't want, there's the potential for you to take that property, turn around and list it on the MLS, maybe do a light rehab or do a full rehab. But I, I think it's, 
now is really a time that you've got to kind of roll up your sleeves and get your hands dirty if you're looking for deals. Uh, I think the other thing that's a little bit uh, comical is all of the people that were like, oh, I can't wait for the next crash. I'm just going to go on a buying spree. They're now the ones that are like, just got to wait. Just got to wait and see what happens. <laughs> it's like you're never going to buy anything. <laughs> yeah. I would so I would many. agree and disagree. I think there's a lot of people who are perpetually sit on the sideline. That being said, the time to buy during the last crash was not, you know. A month in. It wasn't, yeah, late, you know, mid-2008. It was really when the when the bottom started to become apparent when the, the best time to buy of, of all is at the trough, obviously. And if you can do it right, cause you know, you can't buy everything at once is to start buying right before the trough. You can't predict that exactly. But if the market's in free fall, you don't want to catch a, a, a falling knife. And so you, I think you do need to be a bit more conservative with your offers, but people are just like, uh, kind of sitting on the sidelines. I mean, you gotta be ready to jump in. Like you can't be you, sir. I, I want to see how things play out. I'm of the opinion that you should be very, you should not stop buying, but you should be very conservative until probably about a month after the lockdowns end or thereabout. Once we kind of see where things are at, because there, it, it, the market's not going to collapse and then rebound in a month. Like, there's not going to be a V-shaped recovery, even if there is, that's way too much of a V. So you'll have time, but once it becomes apparent and there's never going to be just perfectly crystal clear, no one's going to be shouting like, this is the perfect time to buy. Well, there'll be people saying that, but there's no, it's not going to be that, you know, it's not going to just be like, you know, manna from heaven telling you that it's time to do it. You've got to be ready uh, to jump in. That being said, at the beginning of a downfall, especially right now when there's low inventory, which is probably causing prices to stay high, especially with the Fed just printing money like it is, um, interest rates so low, uh, you know, be ready, make offers, be conservative now. Uh, but yeah, I think uh, the market will probably start to fall. And that's the time you really want to get in. Uh, but don't, don't just sit on the sidelines, twiddling your thumbs, waiting and willing. You know, you have, it's, it's, it's time to be in that like, you know, when, you, when a cat is ready to pounce, you should be, you know, you're, you're kind of kind of like <laughs> looking at that mouse, you know, quiet, like. Well, I, yeah, I mean, I have one, right now. <laughs> I have a little different perspective because I think it's, I think it's one thing for us in our business to think about things because, you know, we're, we're about like. What, a thousand units collectively in all of our organizations, probably a little bit more than that. We have a longevity of acquiring those. So we have a lot of, you know, uh, we have a lot of built in equity just, you know, because of things that we've owned for a long time. I do think if you were starting out in the market right now, this might not be the best time for you to get into it. Because, you know, for instance, for us, like we're looking at closing on a 26 property package. It's possible by the time we get there to refinance that package, we're gonna have to wait a little bit longer if our val if the values go down, you know, if there's some fluctuation. But for us, we know that they can cash flow based on where we're buying them right now. If we have to keep our private lender loans in place for a while, we'll have to do that. But you know, like there's there are different levels of investor and different seasons of investor, and it might it might be a tricky time for some people trying to come into the market or, you know, maybe you just have five right now. And, you know, if one or two of those people aren't paying rent right now and you're looking to try to acquire, this could be a scary time for you. So, I mean, I do think it's, it depends on who you are as a real estate investor and where you're at in your life of investing. Because I mean, I do think strategically, like we've been in it for a little bit longer. We have a little bit 
bigger situation, more economies of scale that are working in our favor. But, but this is but, the same thing we faced in 207, 208 in stewardship. And even though we were a buy and hold organization, we decided we have to flip properties now. It's something that was right. actually kind of new to us. And, and I think if you're worried about the market and whatever side you're on, if you're a buy and hold or if you're a wholesaler or a flipper, retail, whatever you are, do, do what, it, get in and get out, you know, if that's, if you're worried about it. So don't stop buying, just buy with good margins and then go ahead and turn around and sell. You know, if that's, if that's, so don't get out of the game. I would say always stay in the game because it just gives you an excuse. I would say. No, I mean, and I wasn't, I mean, definitely I hear what you're saying, but again, thinking of somebody who might be in a different position than us. I mean, we yeah. made some buy and hold uh, decisions back in the late 2000s. We did. Yeah. They were tough. They were tough to stomach through and they took a really long time to turn around. And, um, you know, we made some decisions that weren't buy and hold, but we had to buy and hold, right. <laughs> you know, because we were so upside down in some properties. It was pathetic. I think the I think the important thing to highlight here is something that every investor should have at all times, and that is multiple exit strategies and contingency plans. Now is not the time to get a hard money loan to try to do a bird deal that you don't think you can flip. Or that's an appreciation play. Uh, never do that anyway. But now is not the time to go into something with like, yeah, I've got a six month, you know, private lender loan. And I've just got to hope the bank will like refi me out in six months. Like now is the time that you need to go into the deal with multiple exits. Uh, like I know that 26 package you guys uh, looked at. These could be probably parceled off and sold individually for a profit if need be. Sure. Now that's not the goal with them, but you have more options than just this has to be this. And that's one reason to uh, another conservative play is to stay with four and under units, because those can always be financed with residential loans. Um, and, you know, just it's just easier. Anytime you go five or above, you're talking about a commercial property. So again, that's another uh, more conservative play is to stay with one to fours. At this I mean, point. even right. single or, families. Or if you want to go multifamily, I would, um, not to be too political about this, but I would maybe stick closer to the middle of the country um, based on yeah. some decisions that governments, <laughs> state governments would make that might affect you as a landlord. Um, you know, we've talked about, you know, previously just, you know, cities making blanket. Uh, well, I mean, let's talk about LA's potential rent thing they threw out. So the the city of, well, I should say the, um, uh, I won't name political parties, one group <laughs> of the political party side uh, in There's LA. There's a Republican party in LA? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> I thought that was just Arnold. Um, the parliament of LA uh, has decided to push forth a, it's like a rent cancellation Bill. Did you call it the Parliament of I, I, I think you did. <laughs> okay. I just wanted to clarify. Yeah. Um, that and this is this is so, so, I mean, just favorable to landlords. So <laughs> they would effectively allow your tenant to live in your property for 12 months for zero dollars. But in return, they will give you an equal tax credit split up over the next 10 years. No, so, not over the know, next 10 years, beginning in 2024. 
and then so 2024 to 2034 you would get those tax credits. I mean, that's pretty advantageous. I mean, <laughs> if I if I can choose between having my money now or not having that money now, not being able to make any sort of a return and kicking the can down down the road 20 years while I figure out how to pay my mortgage for a year. I mean, again, guys, this is one of the one of the reasons if you're doing buy and hold investing, you may want to pick and choose where you invest. I mean, for you instance, have, yes, you have Illinois, to know what I wouldn't touch with a 10 foot pole from what I've heard from my friends who invest there. Now, it's not to say there's not a way to do it. And maybe you have, you know, different systems or things in place. But I like being in a market that if somebody doesn't pay me, the sheriff's like, let's go get them out. <laughs> right. Like, that's my preference. In Illinois, I guess they just passed a law that you can't flip properties without uh, putting them. In other words, you can't. Uh, it's like being a dealer or something. Uh, yeah, if you if you don't put them into your name first, so that just makes it for those who want to sell the contract makes it more expensive because they have to close it. Well, and I think and they have like it. a you can only do it's like the first one a year is fine. I think it's like up to five, and then it gets like there's like tax penalties again. Um, I would say real estate investing kind of mirrors business and you want to be in a market that is pro business, that is logical. Um, so that's just, that's my take on it. Yeah. Generally speaking, that's definitely true. <laughs> well, I mean, it basically, it means educate yourself on what local laws and regulations are. It doesn't make it, I mean, we're, we're in Oregon. We're in Oregon. We're in a very liberal state. Um, and there are laws that are constantly being enacted that do come down and affect us. So far, nothing's been so onerous that it makes it, un, you know, it makes it difficult. But we've had to, I mean, we've had to really adjust the way we've done business over the last year, year and a half, just based on some things that have come down. And, you know, a lot of it just had to do with, um, it's, one, you know, we only have one very large city in Oregon, Portland, and a lot of, you know, they, Portland houses or Portland surrounding areas houses half the population of the state. And so if they enact something for the state to try to curb what's happening in Portland, it's going to trickle down to the entire, you know, state. Just cut the state in half. Right. North, North Oregon, South Oregon. <laughs> and, you know, they're, on the other side of that, you know, what was happening, the reason why they tried to do it is people were losing their housing because, you know, rent kind of blew up. Everything kind of blew up. And so rents were getting increased at a rate that people couldn't keep up with. And so, you know, people were losing their housing based on just onerous rent increases. We're not necessarily a business that handles things that way. But, you know, if you can make more money, people are going to do that. And so, you know, I, I do see some sides to it, but, um, you know, there's unintended consequences that come with making bl blanket legislature like that. Um, you know, there, there are many people that need to lose their ability to, for you to house them because they're very bad tenants, not residents, they're bad tenants, but you, you know, we have a harder time getting bad tenants out now based on legislature that was trying, you know, they were trying to make it so that rents weren't increasing at such a limit that, or at such a rate that they were, and there were just a lot of unintended consequences. And so we have to, you know, creatively find our way around that. So. I mean, anytime there's more government regulation, there's always unintended consequences sure. on you, the back end. And it. you can look at, uh, if you want, this is not landlord tenant law, but you can look at, uh, 
the, Merc- the Mercatus Center has a list of uh, economic freedom by the state's rankings. Uh, the top five, the five best is number one, New Hampshire. Uh, this is the live free or die state. I guess that makes sense. Then South Dakota, Tennessee, Texas, and then Colorado. Missouri is six. That's not too bad. That's not too bad. Oregon is 38th. Sorry. And the bottom five are uh, California, Maryland, Rhode, Rhode Island, New Jersey, and Maine. Maine being the worst, which is surprising. surprising. New York is 44th. I, I would have thought it would be New York and California. Uh, but, yeah. Uh, Maine and Rhode probably Island. Probably a lot of these variables, you tweak them. and you know. Bill, they're coming to lock you up. Mm, you can hear coming it. to take me away. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's right. The, the tenants finally got their way. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, I, I think one of the things, though, to to keep your uh, the one thing that helped us through 2007, 2008, 2009 is to keep our pulse on the market of financing for buyers. At this point, it hasn't really dried up. There, there's uh, nervous lenders out there all over the place, but it really hasn't dried up yet. And so if you're able to sell properties to willing, able, and interested buyers out there. I think the market is is going to stay fairly stable. That if you kept your your hand on the pulse of anything, keep it on that. Ask around, talk to real estate agents, uh, you know, talk to lenders, figure that out. Because when the when the market starts drying up, finance the financing market starts drying up. That's when you're going to start ha- seeing a problem in our country. I don't know. I'll throw this out. Have you guys heard much, seen much about that? Yeah, I think they're tightening um, restrictions. And I think we've talked about this a little bit. One of the reasons why is because of foreclosures being, you know, we're in deferment. We're, you know, they're deferring foreclosures and uh, services are still responsible to come up with payments to for all of those investor backed loans. So I do know that lending has tightened for residential. Now, if you're a qualified um, buyer with a 20% down, you're probably going to have an easier time finding a loan. But some of those I mean, even FHA, if you've got a good credit score and have a a reasonable amount of money in savings, I mean, you know, a couple months worth of reserves. I mean, it's, I think what we've seen is the kind of lower end, low credit score, you know, low or nothing down. I mean, those criteria have all, you know, kind of skyrocketed. Mm-hmm. But your your conventional, your FHA, if, I mean, if you have a somewhat decent to more than decent credit score, those people aren't having any problem buying houses. I think that's one of the things you can look at is uh, if you have access to the MLS, you can actually run a search of sold properties based off of what sort of loan the person who bought that property utilized. So if you are looking for, say, fix and flip deals, you may want to look for deals in an area that is maybe more conventional than FHA or, you know, assisted type down payment stuff. So I think it's really just looking for the opportunities. And then, I mean, even looking at kind of the asset class, right? Chances are in an A or B class kind of vinyl village, newer, nicer, first time home buyery um, subdivision, you're going to probably have more qualified buyers than in, you know, a lower end, um, you know, two bedroom, one bath, $70,000 Midwest blockhouse. I've heard 
I've also heard, I should note from, this isn't good news for new investors, but I've heard that banks have sort of, they're being very forthcoming with current clients and trusted relationships, but they're being very, very squeamish with new business relationships. And of course, that doesn't mean there's no way to get in the door. Um, but I think it, it highlights something my brother said a lot is like, you want to, in good times or whenever you can, you don't. It, by any means, don't take this to be like, give up. There's no point. There are <laughs> banks that will lend to new clients for sure. But when you can, don't just settle for one banking relationship. You want to find multiple. Um, for one, you might hit their limit. Another, you might, um, sometimes banks just get like, I, you know what? We don't want any more single family investment rentals. No, nothing against you, What? Uh, but we're just kind of done with that. Ownership might change. Management might change. Uh, and, you know, or their rates might get bad. Whereas if you have multiple lenders that have lent to you, uh, in bad times, you know, maybe, you know, also you want, you, when you hit that trough, that's the hardest time to get loans. But, you know, maybe you have four banking relationships and three of them say, we're done. We're not doing this right now. But one of them sticks with you. So you want to expand the number of banking relationships um, uh, during whenever you can. This is a tough time to do it, but it doesn't mean not to do it. And, and the only thing that got us also through 2007, 2009 was our private lender uh, relationships because we couldn't get loans from banks. And that's what really dries up again when times get tough and bad. Uh, banks know they're going to take losses. They're trying to hedge their bets. They're trying to take as few losses as possible and not take any more, any further risks. So they're tightening down the screws on their lending criteria. And when that happens, there's still private money out there. There's still people who are open to loan money between seven and 9% interest. And those are the people you need to find to, uh, you know, to continue to funnel, to, to keep your funnel open for new deals. I think the kind of important thing to highlight between both Bill and Andrew's thing is you're going to have to be more persistent than you're initially estimating. Like, I mean, we all love the story of how many times was Walt Disney turned down or how many times was, you know, uh, you know, did Warren Buffett get told no or whatever. Like those stories are fun to hear, but I don't know many people that are going to go talk to a hundred banks and still show up to the hundred and first. So I think it really is like you're going to probably have to put out a little bit more grit and a little bit more stick to than, you know, you could have when everything's going great, everybody wants to be in real estate. So you can just go to a buddy and, hey, want to invest with me? Yeah, sure. Here's, you know, 100 grand. When things get a little bit more tight, you're going to have to be a little bit more persistent and dig your heels in a little bit more and be realize that you're probably going to get told no 90% of the time. And what you're looking for is that 10%. Right. And I just want to, this is kind of a little bit of a change, but you know, um, we've talked about this a lot. One of our niches in Oregon, that's huge is campus, um, rentals. Well, there's a lot of uncertainty with colleges right now. Um, specifically, uh, California yesterday announced that, uh, they're going to be online for the first semester of the fall. Um, which if that happens in Oregon, that really changes things. And, the, and what I, and I know that banks are paying attention to that because yesterday, or maybe it was this morning, one of our bankers told us, yeah, we're interested in refinancing, but probably not campus stuff right now, which tells me they're concerned about if school's going to start in the fall, just as we're concerned if school's going to start in the fall. And, um, you know, we're, we have most of our properties leased up for the fall, but, you know, we're going to have a lot of, you know, uh, college kids and their parents really trying to renegotiate some of those leases 
possibly, you know, nah, we don't know fam. what's going to happen. <laughs> so, you know, um, it's just, it tells me that, you know, we're, we're not out of the woods. We might be heading into our next adjustment. So, so, and, so I d- did read this, just the UC system, which is what 10 uh, California campuses for sure. The rest of them are still deciding. And by the way, this is just a, it's not self-interested at all. It's just a, you know, just to mention if you're in California and you can't go to in-class, uh, uh, in-class <laughs> uh, situation, University of Oregon, I think is going to be wide open for you and uh, stewardship's got places to rent. <laughs> okay. We can move on now. No self-interest <laughs> at all. Uh, no. So anyway, um, we're going to try to move on to just not focus only on COVID in the future here because there is a lot of other issues that we want to focus on when it comes to to uh, looking for real estate, finding real estate, buying real estate, renting real estate. Um, I do think that in times of uncertainty is really a time to to focus and I think that's what we're talking about is how can you focus, make good decisions? You can't make perfect decisions. Don't don't set yourself up with criteria that you cannot adhere to as if, you know, you're never going to make a mistake. Uh, Philip has on his wall, uh, as he has had on his wall, my third son, make more mistakes. Well, maybe that's not the time to focus <laughs> on that particular quote right now. But it is to say that nobody's perfect in what we're trying to do. The one thing you don't want to do is to leave the game of real estate. Now's the time to hunker down, to train up, to get coached up, to get mentored, and to start, if you haven't yet, to start making offers. And uh, with that, we hope that you'll stay with us with the good stewards. Uh, Please subscribe. Please tell your friends. Please give us some likes and send us those questions. We really appreciate that because we love to answer and interact with folks who are listening in. Well, we'll sign off for now. Thanks. Thanks.